Welcome to Nonprofits Are Messy. Not enough money, too many cooks, and an abundance of passion. Leading nonprofits isn't easy. Joan Gary, the dear Abby of nonprofits, gets it, and she is here to help. In this episode, I had a great conversation with my friend and colleague, Seth Rosen. Our topic, how to help you get the right folks on the fundraising bus. We talked about making great development hires, whether you are a small shop making your very first hire, or recruiting for a development director to oversee a team. When's it time to make that very first hire? Who should you be looking for? How do you set her up to succeed? And with larger organizations, we focused on recruiting, interviewing, and retention. Seth Rosen brings to every conversation experience in all aspects of development work. He most recently led a $30 million budget GMHC. He's also been part of other large organizations like Planned Parenthood and Amnesty International, as well as startups like Malaria No More. Seth offered really smart advice that I know you will find wildly actionable. Be ready to take notes. Seth, it's great to have you back. Thank you, Joan. It's great to be talking with you. So um, we just recently published a post about what development candidates should say in interviews and not so long ago developed a podcast, which you can find at on iTunes. It's called Nonprofits Are Messy with Pamela Grow, who is a small shop fundraising expert. And we got lots and lots of comments, questions. And so we thought it might be smart to dig a bit deeper. And one of the big questions that seemed to come up over and over again in reader comments is when does a person, sorry, when does a nonprofit know it's time to allocate resources to hire a development person? So that's a sort of the first question, Seth. And then the follow-up to that is if you only get one, um, what do you look for? That's a great question. It's something that so many nonprofits struggle with, especially, obviously, during the early stages of their lifespan. So I think there are two key things to look for and two questions that a nonprofit has to ask itself before it hires its first development person. The first is, do you have the financial resources to commit to hiring someone for a full fiscal year? Do not hire someone if you only have the money for three months or six months and you're just hoping that someone will magically come in and bring in enough money to keep them going. I don't think that's a good idea. It takes quite a bit of time, several months, to really ramp up and build those relationships. So make sure you have the money for benefits and salary to hire someone for a full fiscal year. The second question to ask yourself is, are you leaving money on the table? And by that, I don't mean, wow, if we have someone, we hope we could get more money. Really carefully look at your donors, at your prospects, at people who you've been talking to, and ask yourself, if we had another person, could we close more gifts, or could we provide such a much higher level of service and cultivation to our current donors that they would increase their gifts? So those are the two threshold questions. Do you have the resources for a year? And two, are you leaving true money on the table? So do you have the money for the full fiscal year? Makes perfect sense. Um, a lot of organizations think if I start to make the investment, I might not have it for the full fiscal year. But if I bring that person on, they're going to pay for themselves, right? 
Yeah, and I think that's actually a mistake. Uh, it really puts a tremendous amount of pressure on someone to to bring in money right away when the reality is you have to build some relationships. And you might be surprised and you might be able to bring in a, gifts right away that pay for them, but I don't think that is the fiscally responsible thing to do. Really make sure in your budgeting process that you have the money for a full fiscal year. That gives the person the time to really explore the fundraising operation, to build it, and to close gifts that aren't just transactional. They're not just trying to get money in immediately, but they're going to work with and cultivate your prospects and donors in order to get the largest gift possible, not just the fastest gift. And I think that's really important. So talk to me about the organizational conditions under which a, you know, the first development staffer can be successful because it's, you know, as I've, I think many of my readers and listeners know, I'm sort of a late bloomer fundraiser and started asking for money about the age of 39 and I actually really love it. Um, but I also understand that it is not an individual sport. It's a team sport. And so can you talk a little bit about the organizational conditions that need to be in place in addition to the cash in order for a development person to be successful? It's a great question, Joan. It's really important that the executive director or the COO or whoever will be supervising the development person has the bandwidth to be a partner with that person. And I, I want to make it clear, the first development person you bring on doesn't have to be a director of development. It could be a manager or a coordinator. But the important thing is that the organization understands that it is a team effort. Raising money does not solely fall on one person. It's an entire organization commitment. And so the ED, the COO, whoever is going to be uh, supervising the development person has to specifically carve out time in their schedule, in their workflow, to be a partner and to supervise and, and to help that development person get settled, uh, help that person learn about the organization and make sure that they have all the tools and information they really need in order to raise money effectively. It will not work if you bring someone on and you say, just go to it. That's not going to bring you in the money that you need. Talk about the board. Where does the board play into this? Because isn't it true that um, in many, many cases, once a development person is brought on, there is this sense of relief and almost a sense, okay, he or she's got it covered and I as a board member can now um, <clears throat> take it, you know, I can really exhale and not feel the same sense of, ownership of fundraising now that we have a staffer on board. Yes, that's so true, Joan. It, it, well, first of all, I think that uh, there can be some sense of relief when you have someone dedicated to fundraising. But really, when a person comes in and they're their first fundraising person, it's time for the board to lean in because the organization is making a commitment to increasing revenue through, through charitable giving. And so the board can feel really good about it. They can feel excited, but they can't wash their hands of the charitable giving of the fundraising process. And the board has to commit to answering the development person's calls, to being a partner with them, to doing what they're asked to do in order to help raise money. 
they can't just say, oh, we have somebody on here now. I don't have to do anything. In fact, when you have a development person coming on, you're just starting the process. That's a time for the board to carefully look at its structure. If it doesn't have a development committee, it's really time to start one. If it does have a development committee, it's time to meet more frequently with that development person in order to plan, to strategize, to look at the budget uh, for the annual budget, and the board has to begin to really think about, well, we have the resources now. The organization is investing in fundraising. What can I, as a director or an officer, do to make sure that this person is successful? Yeah, I, I, I could make the argument, as I think you are here, that when you bring on your first development person, that there needs to be a conversation ahead of time with the board to say that this is does not this is not doesn't let any of us off the hook and in fact quite the opposite that in order for a development person a new development staffer to be successful she or he will rely on the sphere of influence of each of those board members and will very much rely on those people to be actively engaged and will not be successful without that I absolutely agree with that. And it's an exciting time. It is very hard for any organization to be successful with fundraising, to be honest, without at least one person dedicated toward bringing in revenue through charitable giving. And when an organization reaches the point where they have that person, the you know the horizon is really exciting. There could be so many great things that are coming down the pike. And I hope a board is excited when that happens. So let's talk about who this person is, right? We talked about um, sort of the conditions under which a development staffer could or should be hired. Um, Now you're thinking, okay, let's see, I have an annual event. Uh, I want to ask somebody for $5,000. I want to do integrated marketing. Well, gee, I guess I'm also in charge of Facebook and social media with the um, communications folks. Who, who who are we looking for and how do you set them up to succeed rather than fail when there's so much to do? Yeah, it's, it's, it's very important to have clear uh, expectations that are realistic. So before you bring someone on, you really need to look at the budget of what you realistically need to raise um, in terms of revenue for the organization, and then work closely toward with a new development person on specific attainable goals. And the goals have to be really um, things that a person can, in fact, do within that fiscal year. They can't be so large or grandiose or out of whack that a person cannot succeed. So, so can may- you give me an example? So I think that would be really helpful, right? So so can you give me an example of a you know one person development shop and what would be reasonable slash ambitious goals for that person I, I, you know what does that look like so that so that my so that listeners here have a sense of what's a reasonable expectation of success Right. So the most important thing is that it's the person should be focusing on bringing in more money. So make sure that whatever goals they have are focused on revenue generation, on cultivation, on working with donors. Make sure that there's not a lot of other kind of stuff in there, especially in the first year. 
Um, it's really about raising money. And my suggestion is to look over your year-over-year -year revenue growth for the past few years. Let's say you're raising 3% more each year, year-over-year. -year. Do something a little bit more than that. Look for something, that, let's say, 4 to 6% for that first year. What will happen when you have that new person uh, there? And then really look at each quarter how that person is doing and what the revenue generation is looking like. Make sure that you are looking at all of the data every quarter to see how the money is coming in and to see if that person has the tools they, they, that they need in order to increase revenue. I think it's a mistake to let that person just kind of flounder and do whatever they want for a year. As the ED or whoever is supervising the development person, you want to look quarter over quarter to make sure that revenue is increasing. And if it's not, why it's not and what the plan is in place to increase it. But I really like looking at historic revenue year over year in order to plan what that new person has to raise. Don't just pick a number out of the air. Look at your data to make sure that you're picking an attainable number, not something that is just so large that no one could reach it. So one last question on, the, on this subject is oftentimes small shops don't have a lot of data when they bring or they either they don't have a lot of data or their data is a big hot mess and so isn't there ramp up time there is ramp up time i would look if you are a very new shop and you don't have any historic data you're going to when you bring someone on that person's initial job may be to sort out the data problems that you have. Maybe your database is in Excel and it's a total mess and the information is out of date or it's collected poorly. Give that person a few months and you're going to work with them on this to set goals of what they need to do in order to make sure that your data in your database or whatever system you're using is good, that you're able to accept online gifts, that you actually have a, a method of emailing your constituents, that you have a Facebook account, uh, that you're doing some Twitter, some Instagram. So absolutely, there's a ramp up time. If you don't have any systems in place or you have very limited systems in place and you're bringing someone new on, that's actually great. That person can then dedicate themselves to untangling any mess or any problems you have and building an appropriate platform, an appropriate development machine for you. And frankly, as an ED, if you, there's no wonder that things could be messy because you're so busy as an ED. You're doing program, you're doing staff, you're doing finances. It's going to be really helpful to have a new person in place in order to help you build. So let's talk about um, the qualities and skills that you need in this small shop first hire, and then we'll move on to the larger development director hire for organizations that are in that situation. So who, who do you want in that job, that first development, development staffer job? You want someone who has a sense of joy in asking for money. And that means that they really enjoy, truthfully, asking people to make a gift for your organization. They can't be wishy-washy around it. They can't be a little afraid of it. You're looking for someone who really enjoys making an ask. And look for that if you're hiring somebody that's new and doesn't have a lot of experience, look for volunteer fundraising. Have they been fundraising for their college, university, for their child's school? Uh, for their house of worship, look for people who've been involved in asking for money and development in other capacities, but they have to really like that and want to be able to do it. They really want to wake up in the morning and think that I enjoy this. 
And then also look for someone who's very detailed oriented. When you, when you have a small shop, that person is gonna be juggling a lot. You really wanna find someone who is good at the details and good at strategic planning. Um, and also, and this couldn't be more important, they have a passion or an affinity for the mission of your organization. They don't have to be personally affected by it, but they have to believe in it. And they have to know that the work that they're doing, that the, work, that the money that they're asking for is going to a cause that they believe in. So really those three things. So let's move on. And and let's, you know, as I mentioned, um, we do have at www.joangarrywith2rs.com uh, a recent post called What Development Directors Should Say in an Interview, and it ties back to something we wrote earlier about um, great questions to ask in a development director interview. Um, <clears throat> and... Um, and I think that um, if our listeners take a peek at that and hopefully also subscribe while they're there, they'll get some really good advice. But I, I want to move on to a different question, which is where should an organization look for a development director and what are really good ways to recruit for someone? I, I have clients who are, you know, sort of happy with their development directors, kind of unhappy. And one of the things that they'll say is, development directors, really good development directors are so hard to find. Yeah, they are hard to find, especially in major markets like New York, D.C., San Francisco, L.A., Chicago. There's a lot of competition for development people in general. I find the best way to recruit is word of mouth. So it's great to talk to other people in the field, tell them you're looking, share the job description with them, and kind of uh, ask them for referrals of people who they think would be good for your organization. I think that those personal recommendations are the best. I personally use a lot of social media when I'm looking. I'll post on my own Facebook, Twitter, on LinkedIn, trying to generate people who say, oh, I know someone you should talk to. I think that's really the absolute best way to do it and the most effective. For a wider net, I also, of course, post on Idealist, which has you know, a really wide readership, and then the Chronicle of Philanthropy. Um, if there are nonprofit networks in your city, that's a great place to look as well. But I can't stress enough, it's really getting out there, talking to people, spreading the job description, and asking for referrals that will bring you the most success. It also um, sort of leads me to a strong feeling that the leader of your organization, especially if it is a shop on the smaller side, should be active in social media. That, you know, if I have a, if I am the executive director of a community food bank and I have 2,000 friends on Facebook, um, the difference in being able to spread the word that I'm looking for somebody fantastic, it's a whole different ballgame than if I have like, 36 friends, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the bigger the conversation you're having on social media with friends, acquaintances, people in your community, not only is it better for searching for staff, but it's the best way to get the word out about your organization. And that's the best way to educate people who could potentially become donors. 
Yeah, I, I do think that leaders of nonprofits, both at the staff and the board level, often miss the opportunity that Facebook and Twitter really present to them to collect and grow a sphere of influence that can ha- that can reap benefits for them across the board about bringing the good word about their organization out there, but but equally as important is helping them get the right people on the bus, both on the staff side and the board side. Yeah, I, I agree. And plus, it's fun to talk about your organization. You believe in it. You're doing yeah, good work. Totally. Let people know. Totally. This is Seth Rosen we're talking with. Um, in addition to being a senior associate at Joan Gary Consulting, he is also a fundraising strategist par excellence and has uh, experience running huge shops. He um, most recently was the managing director of development and communications at GMHC Gaiman's Health Crisis in New York, which had a $30 million budget. He also um, was at New York Law, Amnesty International, Malaria No More, and um, is one of the most joyful and enthusiastic fundraisers you will ever uh, have the pleasure of meeting. Um, so, um, so here you are, Seth, this enjoy- joyful, enthusiastic fellow, um, and you're applying for a development director job. How do you prepare? I can't stress enough. You have to look at the website, and as as that might be the you know something that everyone would think of really go in looking at everything that's written on the website so that you can understand as much as possible how the organization is describing its programs and how it views itself I think that's really an important thing. And to take a look at what giving opportunities are on the website, if any. The other thing is to go into GuideStar and review as many of the 990s as possible, because you really want to take a look at the full financial picture of the organization to get a sense of where there have been so that you can do some projections yourself and think about where they're going in the future. So it's a combination of having a as good as possible a sense of the financial picture and also a great sense from the organization's own materials about their programs and how they talk about themselves. Uh, It's important for any development person to hit the ground running as much as possible and begin to speak the language of the organization. And if you can do that during the interview by really trying to get inside the organization's head as much as possible, I think you're in a good place. Now, the, the other thing is that I think it's important to have some questions going into the interview. Mm-hmm. And w- one of those questions is to ask the organization, what is it that they're looking for in a development director and where do they want to go financially in the future? You need to have a sense of what their expectations are early on so that you know if you're a good fit for the position. So the good fit part is very interesting. And um, when you interview, and you're uh, clearly you're going to interview with the CEO or the executive director, what are you looking to know or hear from that executive director that makes you feel like, yeah, yeah, I want this job. We we can make this work. We can be a real partnership here. So uh, I think um, it's important for any candidate to remember that you're interviewing the organization as much as they're interviewing you. Um, 
you you are you know have a fun you're a fundraiser you have I'm sure have a great background you're deciding where you want to work next so I'm always looking for does the CEO have an interest in fundraising are they going to be a partner with me will they be out there working with me will they follow my recommendations um, if we can come to an agreement but will they do the calls I ask them to do will they go and talk to people I ask them to it's very hard to meet a budget and to raise money if a CEO is not interested in fundraising so I'm always looking to see what the CEO's interest in fundraising is and then frankly I'm looking to see are we a good fit will we get along well will we enjoy each other's company yep. because when it works best the director of development is spending a huge amount of time with the CEO and you have to really like the person and there is nothing wrong with thinking to yourself you know what I don't think we're a good fit yep. better to do that early on than later yep Yep. It's a, it, I think it's a totally key thing. Um, having been an executive director with a development director who stayed with me my entire eight year tenure, um, and has continued to be a close personal friend ever since that, 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 that duo is just absolutely critical. I spent more time with my development director. I think there were weeks when I spent more time with my development director than with my wife. I'm uh, sure. And, yeah. and we spend so much time at work. Make sure that you're going to enjoy the environment um, and that you're going to be happy. So two last questions. So quickly, um, there's a lot of turnover with development directors. I, I think that's a fair statement to make. Um, why do you think that is? And, and any thoughts on, on um, and how to prevent that in your own organization? There is a lot of turnover. So I think it's because of two key issues. Number one, unrealistic expectations. Yep. Uh, you have to work with your development director, I'm talking about a CEO here or COO or CFO, to build a realistic budget. If you are going to build a budget for a fiscal year that is a huge increase and your director of development tells you it's not possible, that person's not going to stay, right? You want that budget to be aspirational. You want them to work hard to achieve it, but you cannot make goals that are impossible. It is demoralizing for staff and, and they will burn out. So the budget has to be realistic. Uh, and it has to be created with input from the director of development. Um, and how to stop the turn. The, the other issue, of course, I think also is that um, some shops are unable to compete with salary. Right. Um, development people, quite frankly, um, can command a pretty, uh, you know, a, a good salary. They really can. Yep. Um, fundraisers are hard to come by. So you have to make sure that your salary for your development person is competitive. If it's not competitive, that person was not going to stay as long as you want them to. And if you can't compete on salary? Really work with them for the intangibles. I think many people would love to work from home one day a week, and I mm -hmm. think it's very reasonable to do. Um, or see if you can give them an extra week of vacation if that's possible. But look for things that don't cost anything but improve their quality of life. I think one of the things I think is really interesting is that if you have a smaller shop and you're looking for somebody um, with more experience than you might be able to get with the salary you're offering, really look for somebody that you can offer them a great package that will give them a great 
um, work-life balance. So really talk to them about being able to work from home one day a week or the increased vacation. I don't think it ever decreases their productivity. I think it increases it, Mm -hmm. but it makes them feel valued. And it's a way to get someone with perhaps more experience than you could afford on outright salary. So I think it's there's one other thing that I would add, which is um, what are the career aspirations of your development director and what are the professional development opportunities that you can afford that person? Uh, I just did a, actually last week we, we did a podcast with a woman who has been in the same organization for 10 years and making her really an anomaly in nonprofits in many ways. And part of what she talked about was feeling as though she had new opportunities all the time to, um, to stretch, to grow, to develop, to take on new projects. And I don't think we can underestimate um, that piece of the puzzle in terms of retention as well. You still, you do the same job year after year and it doesn't change very much. And then all of a sudden someone comes along and asks you to do the very same job and says, I can offer you 20% more. It's not, it's not a tough, that's not a tough, um, decision to make, but if the organization has really invested in your professional development and you feel like, wow, I've, you know, I've really done a lot of really interesting things I might not be able to do anywhere else. That's also, a real key to retention, I think. I completely agree with you. I think that development people um, like a challenge and they like the they like to have something a little bit different because one thing about development, every day can be different. So if things become stale for them and they don't feel like they're growing, it will be hard to retain them. So if you can offer professional development, or development in the organization itself. Maybe let them work on some different projects um, in areas that they're interested in. You'll really do well in terms of retaining top staff. So last question. Um, I always like it when our readers um, send notes disagreeing with things that we've said in our blog posts. And um, and uh, my friend Jeffrey Janis, uh, director of development at Outfest and previously the director of development at the Ronald McDonald House in L.A., sent me a note after our last post went up. Um, And one of the things that we thought uh, was a great question to ask a candidate for development director position is, tell us about the largest ask you have made. And he said, I think you're asking the wrong question. He said, I hate it when I'm asked about my biggest ask. I want people to ask me about my best ask. And I wonder if you had any comments about that. And then I actually want to, as we close, read what Jeffrey had to say, because he makes a pretty compelling argument. I think he makes a terrific point. I think that the best ask, whatever that is to you, is probably something that really excited you. There was probably something that had some level of difficulty and something that brought you a lot of joy in the ask and really helped the organization. I think it's a terrific question. I also think asking what your biggest ask is important as well, because the organization needs to know that you're capable of asking for gifts that are at the level that they normally bring in. And if you can't do that, you might not be the best person. So I think both of those questions are really important. So I will I leave you with some uh, uh, with a quote from uh, from Jeff Janis. Um, uh, and he says this, and it's actually quite inspirational for the fundraisers who are listening and the executive directors who are on the hunt. Um, I always a- answer that my biggest ask, says Jeffrey, is not nearly as impressive or as interesting as my best one. 
Um, my biggest ask was from a donor who had given the same amount before. And as the new staff person, I was responsible for stewarding that relationship for the next ask. My best ask was to a new prospect whose name came from me to me from a board member. I was at the time working at the U.S. Holocaust Memorial Museum. The donor was in the shoe business, was Jewish, and had no direct tie to the Holocaust, but wanted to support the museum. He ended up giving $50,000 to preserve and clean the room of shoes at the museum. And if you have ever been to that museum, for me, that wall of shoes is the most powerful thing. I, I, don't, I can't even explain what, why shoes are so powerful. Um, and this gift really meant something to him and allowed him to support something he actually truly felt connected to on many dimensions. Jeffrey goes on to say that about 15 years later, he met his wife. He met the wife of the donor at a meeting. Uh, I introduced, he said he introduced himself. She was thrilled to meet me and told me that to this day, that gift was the most significant gift her husband had ever given and that he still talks about it. She said to me, quote, it's not his biggest gift, but it's the gift which stands out in his mind and the one of which he is the most proud, end quote. And Jeffrey ends by saying, so see, size doesn't always matter. That's fantastic. That is a beautiful gift. It was both spectacular for the organization and was so, it, it sounds um, from, from what Jeffrey said, really moving for the donor as well and actually had a huge impact on them for many, many years. So that is an incredibly successful gift. And I say congratulations to Jeffrey. He did a magnificent job. Yeah. And that's that, that is what makes development and fundraising so special because it can, if you do it the right way, Right. And you really correct, connect with um, with the donor in that kind of way that Jeffrey describes. Um, it's it's goosebumps all over the place. Um, we are out of time, Seth. Um, thanks for joining me. This was, uh, I think, very helpful to I hope very helpful to a lot of both small and larger shop fundraising organizations. And I really appreciate your time. It's a pleasure as always, Joan. Thank you. Yep. And uh, again, if you uh, enjoyed this podcast, um, please don't hesitate to uh, rate it. Give it a review. Um, Again, this is not about my ego. Well, maybe it is a little. Um, But mostly, the more ratings and reviews we get, the more visibility the podcast gets and the more people it reaches. And that's actually what our business is all about. So thank you for joining us. And we will see you next time. Nonprofits Are Messy is a service of Joan Gary Consulting. Widely known as the Nonprofit Dear Abby, Joan's leadership blog reaches over 40,000 unique visitors monthly from over 150 countries. Subscribe at www.joangary.com.